This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We are in the third week of a series I call The Core. I do it every year. It's called The Core. This is our, our 2019 version of The Core. It's week number three. The first week was God's core promises, and we talked about the four I wills out of Exodus 6. The second week, we talked about how those promises have been and are still today fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. If you have missed the last two Sundays, please download Calvary FTW on your phone through the App Store. Download that, or if you don't want to do that, go to the website, calvaryftw.com. Listen to last week's message and the one before that. It's my favorite series of the year. You can't afford to get off track with it. Why it's so important? I I believe that the core is God's mission. It's God's burden. It's God's passion. It's God's idea for humanity. So therefore, I think it's this church's passion. This church, this ministry's burden needs to be under alignment. It needs to be under the covering of what God's idea is. I don't think we need to be doing something God's not doing. So this is what I feel God is doing in the earth. And uh, he's, he's, he's completed these promises through, through Jesus Christ. And now the church needs to share the message. God reconciles, he reconciles men to him through Jesus Christ and the death of the cross. But he has shared or trusted us with the message of reconciliation. It's on us. It's on us to share the gospel. So here we are. Just taking the month of February, driving the nail deep into the heart of Calvary Church that why we do what we do comes down to these four promises of God. But I want to read 2 Peter today as my, as my text to you. And because of his glory and excellence, reading from the NLT, 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he has given us great and precious promises. He has given us some promises. And these promises are the ones that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption called by human desires. And I said this in the first service, and I I just love it. And it's actually the first time I think I've ever uttered the words. You can't afford, (laughs) man, you can't afford to live out of your own human desires because you're dumb. You can't afford to live out of your own human desires because you're a sinner. Now, you might today be saved by grace, but you're, you're a sinner. And, and listen to me. You didn't come out of your mother's womb having to go to school to learn how to be dumb. You didn't go to school to learn how to sin. You didn't go to church to know how to be evil. No, it's the opposite. It's, it's completely opposite. You're born out of your mother's womb as a sinner and, and, you go, and, you, and hopefully your mom, your grandmother, somebody invited you to church to let you know there's a better way. But, but it's, it's simply, you're changing the way you live when you come to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, with all that said... If I don't want to live out of my own human desire because that gets me in trouble, I need something else to live by. What is it? 
I need to live from the promises of God that enable me to access the divine nature where I don't always have to live out of what I want. There's a better way. I need the playbook. I need the handbook. I need it in my back pocket everywhere I go. I need to hide it in my heart. I need something. I need something smarter than me. The promises of God, that's the answer. So, after the first week of this series, I need to know what those are. And I need to understand how those work. And then I need to pursue them and use them. Okay? So these promises are what we're talking about. Exodus chapter 6 now. Exodus 6, 6 through 7. There's four I wills that God spoke to his children that were in slavery in Egypt. Four I wills that I call the four core promises of God. Some believe there's like 3,700 promises in the Bible. I'm not going to chase down the weeds on how many there are. But there's a lot more than four. But they all are, they're under these four. Here's the four I wills. God looked at his children in Egypt in, in slavery. Okay, And he says, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm, I promise you I'm going to get you out of this slavery. And I promise you that I'm also going to get you freed up. And, and I'm going to free you from, from what you've been through while you've been in slavery. I know it's kind of messed you up. And I'm going to get you out of slavery. And I'm going to get you freed up from thinking like a slave. And then what else I'm going to do is I'm going to redeem you or restore you. I'm going to get you back to your original purpose. And then I'm also going to be a God to you. And, and you're going to be my people group. And you're going to make a difference in the world. These four I wills. Now, this is our third week. God's core promises. God's promises fulfilled in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to tackle four statements that are at the, at, the, at the absolute missional heart of Calvary Church. You see them on signage around our campus. You hear them in Calvary's kids. You hear them in all-out student ministry. You hear them in something called growth track, which takes place after this service. Here it is, the first two, our subtopic today. Knowing God, finding freedom. Knowing God is the promise of salvation. I'll bring you out. Finding freedom is, is the promise of God giving you a, a clean, fresh start where you don't always have to live like the sinner you've been. Let's get started today. Knowing God, finding freedom. This text of Exodus 6 is a very dark hour for Israel. The next three minutes is the most critical of this day. These next three set the whole tenor for our sermon. So, so be in the moment. It's a dark hour for Israel because they're in slavery. The real deal. They're living in mud huts. They're making bricks. They're even having to get their own clay to make the bricks. These guys are beaten and mistreated as dark as, sla as slaves could ever be. There was a darkness that was over this. It was a spirit of darkness that was over Israel. They were in slavery to the Egyptians. It's critical that you think through that filter for this sermon. The reason that's critical is because the experience that they were living has always been the type. It's, it's signified. It's tried to tell the story 
that that environment is the exact environment for the individual that lives in sin. The lifestyle of a slave in Egypt, the Israelite is a slave in Egypt, literally paints the picture for what you and I are living in when we have not given ourselves over to Christ and made him Lord. In other words, if you're in this room today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you are experiencing the very same thing that the Israelites experienced in their slavery. Because this is, the, this is a similarity. The Israelites felt trapped. They didn't have any say-so in anything. They, did, they didn't say, is it going to be Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell today? No, they didn't have a say-so. They didn't say snooze on their alarm. They didn't have a say-so. They didn't choose Channel 5 or Channel 4. They didn't have a say-so. They honestly were forbidden to have options. They had no options. It's going to be a sport coat day. It's going to be jeans and t-shirt day. They didn't have options. They were slaves. So for the man or the woman that have never given their lives to Jesus... Newsflash, when sin runs your life, you have no options either. Because here's what we think. We think, when we think sinner, we, we, we think drug addict. Well, well, it's more than just drug addict. A drug, drug, a, a drug addict is a great example, but because what, what's happening is he's a slave. She's a slave to the drug. You don't... You, You've given yourself, you've lost control over that. Sin has a way, and that's just one example. Don't, don't, Don't just stay there. Let's think through this together as a group. Sin says you don't have a say-so. I'm going to tell you where your money goes. I'm going to tell you how your, how, how your nights are spent. I'm going to, sin has a way of calling the shots. I'm going to tell you how your family's going to, how your family's going to function. Sin says this is when you're going to wake up and when you're going to go to bed. This is how many jobs you're going to lose. Sin has a way of calling the shots. When you're a sinner and you've never given your life to Jesus, the enemy is not just in the driver's seat. You're not in the shotgun. You're not even in the back seat. You're in the trunk with duct tape over your mouth, with zip ties on your hands. You have no say-so. You don't know if it's daylight. You don't know if it's dark. You don't know if it's a.m. You don't know if it's p.m. You don't know if it's Monday. You don't know if it's Friday. You have no idea what your bank account has or what it doesn't have. You don't know what your wife's thinking. You don't know what your husband's thinking. You don't know what your kids' names are. You're a sinner. You have no options in life. Sin says you're mine and I control you. I control your thoughts. I control your choices. I control your destiny. I control your future. Your eternity, it belongs to me. You have no choice. You're a slave. Are you, are you following me? And this is what the Israelites were experiencing. They had no options in life. 
We wake up when they tell us, we do what they tell us, we, we, we eat when they tell us, and we eat what they tell us, that, and it's generational. Second thing, not only does sin make you feel trapped like you don't have a, an option, sin also takes your purpose in life away. It leaves you empty. You get paid on Friday, 5 o'clock. At 5.30, you look at your wallet and swear someone stole your money. No, sin just took it. You wake up at 55, 62, 67, and, and everybody else in the world, they've, they've done their best to manage, and they've done their best to put back. They've had a plan. They've worked stewardship principles, and you wake up at 67, and you say, I just wish I could go back and do it all over again. You have no purpose. Sin leaves you empty. Now, now, to get a little graphic, okay, watch this. The, the Egyptians as slave masters and the Pharaoh as slave master over the Israelites left them so empty that they took the life of their newborn. They left them empty, meaning they didn't even have a hope that someone else would be better off later. This is what sin does. It creates a generational cycle. When you're apart from Jesus and you've never given your heart to Christ as a man and you have offspring, you've got children, sin says, I'm not just going to ruin your life, I'm going to ruin their lives. And the, and the passing down of dysfunction takes place. And then you're 30 and you're screaming at your wife, I don't know why I do this. It's just because this is all I've ever known. This is all I've ever seen. And sin's going, that's right, that's right, that's right. And it's just passed down and it's passed down. Sin makes you feel like a trapped slave. Sin makes you feel empty like you have no better tomorrow even possible. Are you with me so far? This is why we preach the way we preach, and this is why a church exists in South Fort Worth, because there are slaves, everybody. There are slaves to sin in our families, as our neighbors, as our coworkers, as our best of friends. And the reason we believe and teach this core principle is that God makes a promise, and he's good at his word. He promises there is a better way. There's a way to know him. You can know God in salvation. Let me tell you what else sin does. Sin leaves you tired. I can look in the eyes of a sinner and I don't just see, I don't just see the addiction and I don't just see the anger and I don't just see the, the, the problems they have. They, you could see it. They look tired. They're tired of the fight. They're tired of the hustle. They're, they're, they're tired of the problem. They're, they're tired of the pressure. They're so stressed down and, and, and they can't seem to get, they can't seem to get a, better, a better break. They can't get a break and they're tired of not getting a break. They don't sleep at night and they think they need a nap and a nap can't cure it. They need a rest that that temper pure can't, can't provide. Can I get an amen, everybody? Watch this. 
Sin leaves you trapped, takes your purpose away, leaves you tired. And God promised them and he's promising today, you can actually know a better way. You can know salvation. Well, how do I do that? How do I know God? I wish I could see pins click or hear pins clicking. I wish I could see apps opening. How can I know God? Guys, I'm fixing it. Here it is. Here's here's the greatest answer in life. Everybody, this is it. How do I know God? How do I know God? You must repent. And you must confess. The Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Wherefore, come out from among them. And be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Who's that on? Everybody say, that's on me. Everybody other than Ron, say, that's on me. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all letting him say everything for you today. When he's not here, y'all talk. When he's here, he just says it and you go, yeah. Everybody say, that's on me. What's on me? Repentance is on you. I've got a 13-year-old in this service right now. And that, that, that phone better be on that app. But I got a 13-year-old in this service right now. I can drag her little tail down here to the altar. Repent. Repent to the Lord. Repent to the Lord. And just to make me hush, she could say, I repent, I repent, I repent. But if she doesn't repent, all she did was get me off her case. That, that, that thing better be open on that app. All right. <laughs> Son, I'll take this pastor hat off right here (laughs) and put that daddy hat on right here and show out. Everybody in this room, look at me. I can't repent for her. I pray in the name of Jesus that I go to heaven with her, but I can't repent for her. Denor can't repent for me. Denor prays every day. God soften his heart. Lord, forgive him. Lord, make him right. But if I don't repent... Everybody say repentance is on me. And don't confuse repentance for condemnation and you feeling bad. Repentance is not, you know, poor, poor me crying, begging and pleading God, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. That's not repentance. Repentance is you going, I'm done with this me. This me, this me is no longer going to be me. I'm repenting because this, the, the way I've been going, it's, it's like my GPS says, to dumb, go this way. And I've been going this way. And my GPS needs to be reset to righteousness. I must repent. I've just got to turn around. God's not going to do it for you. His love is going to pull it in you and out of you. And his grace is going to empower you, but you are going to have to repent to know God. And in your moment of repentance, when you say enough is enough, this is not going well. This is not working out for me. All I'm doing is getting myself in a bigger pickle. I'm I'm done with this and I'm going to turn to God. And now here comes the critical, oh, help me God preach this in my heart. 
This is where the disconnect comes. Repentance must lead you to opening up your mouth and your mouth must speak what's in your heart and it's gotta be real. It's gotta be sincere from your heart. What, what do I have to say? You're gonna have to confess that I'm done with this and I'm all in with this and I confess you, God, Romans 10 and nine. I confess you from my heart out of my mouth. I confess you as the Lord of my life. Listen, everybody, watch this. How do you know God? You get out of the trunk. You use that little escape seat in the back seat. You kick it open and you, and you crawl in. And the devil's driving your little Honda. And now you're in the back seat. And you take your zip ties. You put it over his head and you go, Godfather on him. <laughs> you open up the door to the Honda. You roll over. Don't hit the gear shift. It causes all kind of mess on the interstate. You open the door, you kick the devil out on 35, you're doing 80, I know. But you kick him out, don't let him get in the ditch. You need him to stay in the lane because an 18-wheeler is right behind you. And you need to crush him. Look in the glove box. There's a little pocket knife. Cut the zip tires. Take the duct tape off. Don't take the steering wheel because you're still dumb. Just ask Jesus to take the steering wheel. You get in the passenger seat. Take a deep breath. Because you've repented and you've confessed. And I have no idea where all that came from. (laughs) But holy cow, that was awesome. (laughs) I mean, we zipped on the... Yeah. Yeah. Whoever knew zip ties were found in scripture. <laughs> they are now. And it's so funny. People right now are in the back of their Bible going, zip tie. It's not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> Mark chapter 8 tells us that we must now surrender. And we've, and, and Romans 6, 19 tells us we have to go all in. So how does this look? One thing about me and Denora, we're, we're in, our, in our marriage, it's not, you know, there's, there's, there's these classic relationship jokes, you know, the old classic jokes that seem to apply. You know, they generalize these jokes where the fellas never ask, no, or the fellas never admit they're lost. They always, you know, they lie to their wife. We're not lost. I'm, you know, those classic jokes. Ours is the exact opposite on this when it comes to uh, backseat driving. Denora, I can be driving and Denora's just chilled. I mean, she is just the most awesome, wonderful, gracious spouse that God could have ever given me. So whenever I'm driving fast, it doesn't freak her out. Whenever I'm taking corners on two wheels, it doesn't mess her up. She's good. The moment that I get in the car with my wife, I, I, I just become a baby. Slow down. I'm fine. No, you're not. Going too fast. I'm going 18 miles per hour. It's, it's like lightning out here. You're zipping. And I'll get messed up in parking lots. I'm like, careful. People aren't looking at you, baby. People aren't looking at you. That, that truck's going to get you. He, Tommy, you need to settle down. I can't settle. You're just not paying attention. You're your blinker. Scoot your chair up. You can't reach. 
You're sitting in my setting, which is very. You need to scoot it up. You're short. And all of a sudden, I become this control freak. And watch this. If we've kicked the devil out and we got Jesus in, your job is to buckle up and shut up. Sit on your hands and let Jesus be the Lord of all. But here's how we mess it up. We've put him in his driver's seat, and now we're like, I, I think you need to go left here. Hey, Lord, I think you need, I think you need to go right here. If you're taking me where I'm needing to go, I, I think you need to pick it up a little bit. You're, you're going a little too slow there, Jesus Christo. You need to speed up. <laughs> and the whole while, our job now, our job is to surrender. How do I surrender? Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I've now confessed you as my Lord. You ready for it? Now I'm going to live like it. A lot of people are good at the confession, but then they take the ownership right back. I'm going to live my life under alignment with what I've just confessed. In other words, you ready? I'm going to live out what I'm saying I, I, I believe. If I'm going to say I believe you to be the Lord of my life, then I'm going to live like that. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to buckle up and I'm going to hush up. And I'm going to let Jesus be the Lord of my life. Because I got good news, everybody. He knows right where you need to go. And he's got the ability to get you where you need to go. If you'll just be a good little passenger, you ready? Be a follower of Christ. And he'll take you where you need to go. Let's clap our hands in the name of the Lord real quick. So, now that I know God. Now that the Israelites have left Egypt. We didn't work for this salvation. Didn't cost us any money. We didn't have to put on a dog and pony show. We didn't have to turn cartwheels. What did we have to do? We had to repent of our sins and we had to confess him as Lord. In other words, we had to take a step of faith in his grace. But now, now that I'm, now that I'm in his hands, guess what? I don't work for that salvation, but I work from that salvation. Now, this is where a lot of you are going you're gonna to check out on me. And, the, and, and, and what I mean by that is, a lot of you are on this treadmill right here. You've never, ever, ever taken this, this next approach to the core. God took them out of Egypt, but God wasn't done with them. He then had to get the Egypt out of them. God wants to save you and deliver you from sin. Only he can do it through the work of Christ on the cross. And if you'll put your faith in that, you'll get, you'll, you'll get saved out of sin. But now starts the journey of getting sin out of you. Because you've been indoctrinated as a slave how slaves think. How they live. How they talk. How they act. Let me, let me just strip it down. This is just... This is just good old-fashioned South Fort Worth talk here, everybody. Watch this. Just because you give your life to Jesus does not mean that you stop 
naturally responding in life the way you've always responded. You've experienced the miracle of salvation. You've just entered the process of freedom. Salvation, instant, supernatural work of God. Freedom, natural, long journey for you. Sin told me I had to cuss. I never knew any other way. Sin was my master. I'm a cusser. Now that I'm saved, now I make the choice. I don't have to. I choose to or not to. My, 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 uh, here's a great example that might help some of you. And, and, and you just got to just gotta hear me out here. My, my, my late father, my late dad, some of you may not even know this about my dad, but, but when my mother was pregnant with me, I was a baby in her, in her little belly. My father was a two and a half pack a day smoker. Okay? At some point, God got a hold of his life while she was pregnant with me, and, and he had an old-fashioned dress shirt like I do with a pocket on it, and he took the cigarettes out and flushed them down the toilet. I was like 15 or 16, and we were on the golf course back in Louisiana, and a guy fired up a cigarette, and my dad was like, man, that looks and smells so stinking good. Why? Because he was familiar with it. That's what he did for a long time. And I'll never forget him saying it's a daily choice not to smoke one of those. It was a one-time choice to give his life to Jesus. It's a daily choice of discipleship of Y'all ready for the worst word of the day? This word, this word right here make everybody get nervous. It's discipline. And some of you are like, that's false doctrine. That's heresy. Discipline does play a role in your faith. Supernatural salvation, you didn't do it. You just believed for it. You received it. Discipline? <laughs> you... Just like you reached down and tied your shoes this morning. I know some of you lost your breath and blacked out trying. That's why you Velcroed your way to church. You just go. <laughs> and then there's others of you just the little bootstrap, you know. But listen, you were disciplined. You woke up. You got dressed. The life with Christ requires discipline. Jeff, hurry on the keyboard or it's before before I go home. God, I hate you, clock. <laughs> Two-minute warning. Punks. Everybody say freedom, freedom. requires discipline. Now, here's what the Bible says. You can't, you can't, can't miss this. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 in the NLT. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Verse 13, watch this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You just have to live out what his power is enabling you to do. It's activating the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have become a willing slave to the love of God. And it requires work. 
It requires discipline. It requires daily pep talks with your heavenly father. It requires daily refueling of the Holy Spirit. It requires daily study of the plan, which is his word. If you will do your part in preparing for freedom, he will do the supernatural part that you can't do. And that is enable you with his grace to remain free. Everybody in this room, I want to pray over here shortly. God's plan for humanity is that you can know God. You can be saved. And God's plan for humanity is that you don't have to live the way you've always lived. There is a freedom. There's a freedom available to you. And God's not just going to come down and, you know, sure, there, there are miracles of freedom from addiction. But I can guarantee you this much. It comes with the handshake deal that you will be disciplined to remain free. He'll do the supernatural chain breaking. That's what he is. He's a chain breaker. But you're going to have to discipline yourself not to pick them back up and latch them back on yourself. Live in the freedom that the cross of Christ has provided for you. This is the core that everybody can know God and everybody can find freedom. One of the things we do at this church to help and assist in finding freedom is small groups. Small groups really is where freedom is found. That's where it happens. I want you to stand with me. It's not too late for you to be involved in a small group. Well, how do I know which ones there are? It's on that app that you've been looking at. And it's also posted in the lobby. Is it too late? No, no, it's not too late at all. You can get in one today. Find the freedom that you need in life. Wow, this has been fun, everybody. I pray a blessing over you now in Jesus' name. And I can't go home tonight and rest peacefully without giving you an option to knowing God right now. Every eye closed and every head bowed. In this 10 o'clock service, if you're here today and you feel trapped, you feel empty, you feel as tired as you've ever felt, not because you're sleepy, but because you're just tired of the, the fuss. If today you know without a doubt in your mind that today you're ready to repent and you're ready to confess the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to lift your hand real quick. Don't hesitate. I see that as a couple. How beautiful is that? I see you there in the back. I see you right there. I see you, sir, in the very back right. With all these hands that are lifted, I want you to come into agreement with me now. Just as I gave the example about my own child, I can't pray this prayer for you. But I sure can help you and lead you. But it's going to have to be from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I've heard the gospel story. And I know, Lord, I have accrued a debt that I cannot pay. The sin debt. But Jesus, you paid the debt for me. 
And in my response, being thankful and grateful, I take you up on the offer. Forgive me of my sin. And because of my love and admiration for what you've done, I repent now. And I turn and I go a different direction. I'm tired of doing it my way. My way's not working. So I turn and I'm chasing hard after you. I want to follow after you. I receive you right now as the new Lord over my life. And I believe that my future is secure under your Lordship and that my name is being written in heaven's book. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus, continue to equip me and empower me to make better choices and enjoy my life of freedom. Put me in the right relationships, new friends, maybe a small group. Let me be committed to taking this new, wonderful, fresh start seriously and let me make the most of it. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today. Amen. Amen. I couldn't love you anymore. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful week in Christ. We'll see you Wednesday night in our small group on campus. If not, enjoy your groups this week. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.